Welcome to Haniel's All About Ankle Fake podcast, where Scott and I explore the essence of the philosophy of ankle fake, its positive impact on the economy of our businesses and the lives of the people working in them. In this episode, Scott spoke to Moritz Merkert, who is a member of the Haniel investment team. Moritz explains what Haniel's focus is for future investments and how Enkelfeig will act as a stringent guideline for him and his colleagues moving forward. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott. Um, I'm, I'm Moritz. Uh, I did join Haniel uh, last year. I uh, have a background in uh, private equity and uh, with various family-owned businesses. And um, I am based within the investment team of uh, Haniel, um, which has three pillars, uh, people, planet and progress. And uh, I represent uh, the planet team um, looking for investments uh, that uh, have some sort of uh, resource efficiency uh, angle. And uh, that's that's why I believe that they are quite relevant uh, for, for Anchorfake and the Anchorfake concept uh, as a whole. Okay, so you're part of a team um, that uh, uh, targets investments, um, and you're uh, the uh, the planet side of that. And there, that means there's uh, you have colleagues on the on the um, progress and the people side. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. Uh, the team as a total total team consists of uh, 12 team members. Uh, we're hiring right now, so most probably uh, by summer will be 15 to 16 people. Okay. And uh, that means that uh, for each pillar you have uh, four to five uh, colleagues. And uh, while the people team, um, it's pretty straightforward what they do. They they focus on on healthcare, on safety, and education. Uh, KMK being a typical people deal. Mm -hmm. um, progress is associated with uh, smart industries. Um, meaning robotics, uh, optronics, uh, industrial automation, and uh, everything tech. And okay. uh, Planet is uh, slightly more difficult because there's no, no such thing as a planet sector. Uh, I mean, one day we do look at uh, renewables. Uh, the next day we could look at uh, natural food ingredients, uh, green packaging, you name it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh, a bit of a mixed bag of, of uh, things, uh, which makes it challenging, but also quite interesting from an investment point of view. Just for me to understand like your role, you're, you're in the market looking for companies that Hanyo can either outright purchase or uh, um, buy shares in. I mean, how, how does that work? I mean, it seems, that seems like a cool job. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, right. Are you, do you read the newspaper and, and you, and you see, okay, oh, this is uh, something. What, what are you looking for when you're in the planet side of things? Right. Uh, first of all, it is interesting. I, I quite like what I'm doing. Um, the job, itself is, is, is twofold. I mean, on one side, you have uh, the portfolio bit, um, which means that uh, we are dealing with the existing portfolio and uh, we are you know, like nudging, challenging, supporting them in, in achieving their ambitious goals. Mm -hmm. And um, today, I guess we focus on the acquisition side, um, talking about how, how uh, the Hanley portfolio uh, or companies that we'll acquire over the next couple of years uh, are likely to look. And uh, that's quite interesting um, because we do try to um, participate in, in so-called auctions um, that are organized by M&A advisors, by banks, mm -hmm. by intermediaries. Um, but then again, we also try to, to create proprietary, proprietary solutions 
by talking to entrepreneurs and uh, being present in in um, networks uh, that represent family-owned businesses. So it's a, it's a bit of both. Um, on one side, we address uh, family-owned companies, but uh, it's it's uh, also relevant for us to, to look at uh, companies that are currently owned by institutional investors mm -hmm. and uh, that are likely to come to the market uh, in the next uh, one, two or three years. And um, we, we do have uh, a target list of uh, companies that uh, we, we aim to look at um, over the next 12, 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. And um, by doing that, we uh, do engage advisors. Um, we we uh, try to, to interact with experts um, that uh, have experience from the industry and uh, try to spot and, and identify those opportunities as, as soon as possible. Okay. Um, since uh, the market is, is uh, super competitive, I mean, interest rates are low, um, everybody's looking for, for reasonably good investments, mm -hmm. and uh, the public markets, uh, meaning, meaning companies, are uh, in, in very high demand, uh, which makes it challenging, and uh, the processes are, are run super fast. That's, that's always weird for me as someone who you know, like still budgets his money every month or so, you know, like it's, it's weird that it's a competitive market when you come to, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars of acquisition, uh, that, uh, that you still have to be competitive or you still have to, uh, to be there first. It's not just like, okay, there's 10 of them, take what you want. It's a, it's a competitive market. Okay. I'd, I'd like to, before we get into, uh, um, the, the way that portfolio companies or future portfolio companies, you said something that I wasn't quite clear on. So the team that you're working in, you're also um, responsible for uh, helping existing portfolio companies um, reach their targets by also at the same time uh, striving towards the ankle fake uh, side of things, right? So it's not just your team is out there looking for new acquisitions, but you're helping existing portfolio companies. Can you explain that role maybe just a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we, we are kind of uh, representing the, the family, the Honey family as, as uh, owners. Um, all, all companies um, are in, in one of those pillars. Mm -hmm. And um, we do have uh, investment partners um, who, who lead the overall charge regarding the portfolio companies. And that means um, both uh, the Future Worth Living bit, which um, is in collaboration with the Future Worth Living team. Um, I, I, I'm aware that you're talking to Axel. Um, and that's that's uh, one thing that uh, Axel and his team are supporting us and the portfolio companies on. But uh, in terms of the overall responsibility for the portfolio companies, um, it's it's uh, the investment team um, that's in charge. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the Ankle fake and uh, future worth living uh, bits are, are um, one element of, of the bigger picture. Sure. Okay. That's a whole other episode. Is how to marry the two because it uh, it feels like there's a, there's a lot of um, th on the side of the portfolio companies a lot of thought. Okay, well we have to bring the profits. Uh, but at the same time, we have to uh, uh, strive towards a future worth living, which costs money, um, which is part of the, the the thing I enjoyed about the discussion with Dorota and, and uh, with Daniela is I see now some of the productivity uh, that can be had through marrying all of these concepts together in one thing. So it's uh, it's not. Um, what When did you hear about Ankle Faye for the first time? Um, in fact, when I uh, first interviewed with Haniel, 
that was the first time when I when I heard about Anchorfig, mm -hmm. and um, I actually it's one of the reasons uh, why why I joined Haniel. Um, on on one hand, I, it has a strong fit with my personal values. Yep. On the other hand, I, I do believe from an investment perspective, it's it's super relevant uh, because it has a couple of, of elements that uh, differentiates us from from other investors, uh, be it private equity or, or family investors. In a sense that I mean, obviously, creating value for future generations, um, it's it's uh, a must that a company creates value. Otherwise, um, it won't be around for long. That's, yeah. that's uh, pretty straightforward. But uh, then you also have uh, for future generations. I mean, being able as an investor to hold a company long term gives you um, plenty of possibilities and opportunities to create value that uh, short term investors uh, are not able to, to um, create. Uh, for various reasons, and um, I think or I feel that uh, talking with entrepreneurs, um, they quite like the idea that uh, they sell a business uh, and they know it's uh, it has a new owner for for many years, not just uh, for the next uh, private equity turn. And uh, that's that's uh, one thing that sets us apart. And then you also have uh, the sustainability bit that, in in my view, is is linked to to being anchorfake. Not just uh, in an ESG sense uh, to to you know, like uh, run a company uh, responsibly, but also um, to look for businesses, and that that's uh, key to to what we do in Planet. Um, look for businesses uh, that uh, help to to tackle uh, problems um, that are related to uh, both economic and and uh, social challenges. Mm, yeah, so we've talked about a future worth living. Um, a couple times, and that's the there's there's a there's a way a framework that you use now um, in order to look at let's say future portfolio companies, right? Um, I think you mentioned there's ten points in the future worth living. Is it? Did, are you calling it a framework? Is that what it is? If just a framework within within which you measure? Yes, it's it's uh, called the future worth living assessment, um, which is uh, rooted in uh, the United Nations. Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so you always uh, have to address one, two, or three of the SDGs, uh, being you know like uh, zero hunger um, or yeah. you know like uh, climate climate change, um, you name it. And um, then again, uh, it's it's I think three or four uh, categories. Uh, one being anchorfig, one being climate impact. Uh, at the end, you you do have uh, some sort of compliance check uh, that uh, the company you're looking at. Uh, doesn't doesn't um, uh, use child labor or any any you know, like um, compliance um, issues that that could be harmful. But that's that's uh, within the future with living score. It's, it's one, one part. One part. It's one I mean, part okay, but we're still we're talking about the yeah. the Hanio specific future with living. It's, it's uh, one part of assessment. that. Okay, so yeah. it goes that deep. Yeah, it, it's very deep, and uh, you also have uh, you get uh, a score for the status quo. And uh, you also get an assessment on um, where you can go with that company and uh, what the, where the potential lies and uh, what the actions that uh, are recommended by the Future Was Living team are in order to get uh, from a, let's say, 3.5 to, to a 4. Mm -hmm. And um, talking about the scale, it, it ranges from 1 to, to 5. Um, one being a producer of landmines that that uh, children you know, build 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, five being, I don't know, for instance, in in the renewable space, or you know, like uh, some some sort of company that that uh, addresses global hunger or whatever. Okay. So having having a, a really strong strong purpose. Um, and the the one to five. I mean, were you part of the the the, the team that came up with the scale itself? No, no, no. That's that's uh, Axel, and uh, I think uh, there are many questions you can ask him around yeah, okay. uh, that framework. Uh, he'll he'll uh, happily answer. And uh, I think that, that that's a good thing that uh, the assessment is not done by the investment team mm -hmm. because uh, it would be kind of you know like uh, self self controlling. Um, which um, wouldn't work, I guess. Um, That's the beginning of greenwashing. Exactly. Always. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so. uh, I mean, they're very strict, and yeah. uh, they are they're hard to convince. And uh, we've had uh, plenty of of uh, intense discussions with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's good if you want to have uh, a functioning a functioning approach and. Uh, You don't want to want to just you know greenwash uh, your your previous investment uh, sure. style. Well, that takes me to actually, this is a perfect way for me to ask the question: <laughs> is why Bowwatch? Why did you invest in Bowwatch? If if I understand correctly, um, we were put into the people people pillar. Um, yeah. I don't know if we were put into that or if that's like uh, uh, what the assessment was in the beginning. Um, I have heard this not only one time, but a few times, uh, that there's a question around our um, being part of the Hanyo uh, group. And um, the question is just really clear, like, how can we uh, um, say Bowwatch is part of that? Like, why why Bowwatch? Do you have any idea? Do you have a... Well, I only joined Haniel after after Bowwatch was acquired. Okay. But uh, from an investment point of view, I, I strongly believe that uh, Bowwatch is an amazing deal because it's a good company. It's a nice business model. Um, from a anchor fake future was living perspective, um, I would say it's circular. It um, addresses uh, safety, and uh, I think those are the, the main the main reasons. Um, but uh, Uh, as I said, I only joined Hanyel uh, after after the acquisition was done, so I didn't uh, see the future was living assessment. Mm. But um, I think it's it's uh, the safety and uh, circularity uh, arguments uh, that that uh, were uh, decisive in in acquiring it. The role of the investment team within the organization—that's something you wanted to talk about. You want to maybe uh, explain it a little better. Uh, did you want to talk about that because you feel like there's confusion around your role in the organization or your team's role in the organization? Or well, I would say we have conflicting, conflicting uh, goals. Uh, or I mean, talking about future was living, it's it's pretty straightforward. But um, there are there are uh, two two uh, categories of goals that um, we have to to uh, look after. One is uh, TSR. Which, uh, from an investment point of view, uh, the total shareholder ret return is is uh, the thing that comes first. Um, we used to have um, future was living incorporate into that, but now it's it's um, at one level. Yeah, like we can't we can't acquire a company that promises great returns but uh, doesn't comply with the future was living um, idea. So it's it's um, we have to make sure that there are reasonable returns. And at the same time, Future Was Living is is um, at least compliant, um, if not more. And um, the role of the investment team, um, in addition to the portfolio bit that we've been talking about a couple of minutes ago, is um, investing the family's funds uh, in a way 
that um, promises decent returns uh, that uh, is according with our ankle fake uh, claim and um, that uh, helps to to um, uh, create long-term value for the family and uh, the shareholders. Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, is that an easy role? <laughs> Not always. Uh, I mean, as, as I've said, uh, there's plenty of money in the market and uh, the valuation for these firms um, keep, keep uh, increasing. Um, even within this year, we, we saw a steep, steep increase uh, over the last year and uh, that makes it kind of challenging. And uh, then we also look at, at a subset only of um, the companies that is available in the market um, being being. ESG compliant and um, addressing some sort of um, purpose that, that goes beyond uh, just being ESG compliant. I mean, uh, we, we uh, did talk about uh, the landmine producer. I could imagine that uh, other investors um, invest into tobacco manufacturers and uh, say they are ESG compliant because um, they recycle their, their packaging, they have... Um, some sort of uh, equality framework in place and uh, have a strong governance, um, which is good in terms of um, how you, you run a company. But uh, our idea is to do something beyond that and uh, invest into companies that uh, have some sort of um, impact on, on uh, or avoid negative impacts for the environment uh, or the society. So that means a, ta a tobacco producer, because they kill millions of people a year, exactly. wouldn't be something that uh, would be ankle fake or within the future worth living uh, framework. Right. We wouldn't okay. touch it. Uh, then again, you could argue that that uh, such a company could still be ESG compliant. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the, the market is is uh, only emerging now, and there are many definitions out there sure. uh, from from. Uh, responsible investing, sustainability investments. Um, you have uh, purpose-driven investments, uh, which is uh, what what our claim is. We we are considering ourselves to be to be um, purpose-driven investors mm -hmm. because um, others are calling themselves impact investors. Yet we are still in the business to to make money. You know, like it's not just for the impact. Our purpose is is anchor fake, uh, creating value for future generations, and um, that's why we we as an investment team consider ourselves uh, purpose-driven investors, uh, meaning TSR on one hand and uh, future was living on the other hand. Okay, TSR was new for me uh, when I um, first started digging into, yeah, basically the the um, information that Hanyo has available. So TSR is the total uh, shareholder uh, return. Um, exactly. And uh, I think the target overall is 9%. Uh, um, we've got a few targets that I can remember, 50% uh, um, uh, women uh, at all levels, and TSR was really high uh, with the 9%. Um, if a company has a TSR of 30%, let's say, Does that in some way uh, um, counterbalance maybe a, a, a problem on the other side? I mean, because no. you, you said they've been separated from each other. So is there, does one trump the other? Okay. They, so. they, they have been separated um, in the past, but uh, now they are, they are on, on equal terms. Now. Okay, so they're on equal uh, it, terms. Uh, meaning, meaning it can't come, like uh, high returns can't compensate for a poor, poor future with living score. Okay. Um, which is good. I mean, uh, a shitty company in terms of uh, their future with living score um, will never be one that we invest in. Okay. That's. 
That's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but I mean, I would think that you know, like a ten percent. Uh, so if you don't have nine percent, but you've got nineteen percent, I would think you would be able to get away with a little bit of child labor. No, no, no it's it's uh, not the case. Okay, I it's mean, strict. There is uh, no no room for tolerance there. Okay. And uh, I mean, looking at the individual investments, uh, we always aim for returns higher than nine percent. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, things uh, sometimes uh, don't don't go as planned. Yeah. And you want to have some some uh, margin for error. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the individual investments uh, are always uh, priced in a way. That uh, the returns, uh, the return expectations are above nine percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet we would never accept any any kind of you know, like bribery or child labor or whatever um, when when looking at companies. Okay, are there are there are there gray zones uh, within that? You know that um, because I was talking, you know, like I said, I was talking to Urco World and and they've invested or they're 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 heavily invested in a few things where they say they get from their um uh investors then questions you know what why are you invested in this one of them was for example in the US they had a um uh, a landfill company and um you know their their argument was okay this landfill company is specifically uh, um doing things in their landfills to create power or to do, you know, there's different types of innovative things that this company's doing. Landfills are something that you can't think away in the society that we live in. And so they have no problem investing into that, uh, even though it seems like on a, on a level. Are there, th- are there, are there those kind of discussions going on in your teams? You know, where is the, the, where's the drop off and how gray is it? Absolutely. Um, for instance, if you look at a company that um, has 95% uh, revenues in an industry that uh, you like and 5%, uh, let's say, in uh, engine and exhaust systems for cars, um, then we would still look at the company, but uh, we would have a clear plan um, how to, to reduce that to, to zero over um, a certain period of time. Um, so yes, we we look at at uh, cases that um, are, are some sort of edgy, mm-hmm. but um, you always have to to have a clear plan on um, how to change the business and um, how to to make it uh, future worth living compliant um, at least uh, over the next couple of years. Okay, and uh, that before we get into the operationalizing of it, um, that that's a question that's in in the top of my mind is. You know this the angle phase concept, the future worth living uh, uh, um, assessment, the you know outperformed by doing good. All of that is relatively new. I mean, it's end of 2019. Uh, we've had Corona since then. It's 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 difficult at best to start um, implementing that into existing portfolio companies. But the idea would be to retroactively assess the companies that are in the group um, and to give them that plan uh, um, as far as, you know, what do they need to get out of or what can they work towards? So that's actually something that's happening? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And uh, again, it's it's something that uh, we're looking at in, in close collaboration with Axel. And um, from my understanding, by 2025, 
The goal is uh, to have um, all companies operating at a share of 70% uh, anchor fake products. And um, I mean, what, what that means and uh, how, how the companies approach that, um, you'll have to look at it at, at a case-by-case -case, uh, basis. Uh, sure. And I think Axel, Axel is a good, good um, person to talk to about that. Uh, looking at new companies, um, I do think it's, it's a, a good time to invest in those businesses right now mm -hmm. because, I mean, Uh, what is true for the market is, uh, in general, meaning that there is plenty of money in the market, is, is uh, particularly true for, for ESG or purpose-driven, sustainable, responsible investments. Um, everybody is, is uh, looking at that bit of the market and um, the competition is, is uh, even, even more fierce than in the general market. Um, yet, I do believe that Haniel is an early adopter. We, we do have a very uh, credible framework in place and uh, are a, a very credible investor. And um, I think it's, it's a good time to, to invest in those businesses now because I think that um, on one hand, uh, that the values are increasing. There's uh, some sort of uh, a, a scarcity premium uh, for those businesses. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, I think in the long run that uh, businesses that, that don't engage in some sort of uh, anchor-fake uh, concept framework or whatever uh, concept they, they follow that, that has similar characteristics, that uh, in the long run, investors, uh, employees, customers, Uh, will turn their backs on those businesses. So I think it's it's uh, a clever thing to do. And uh, not only from from a um, social, environmental point of view, but also from an uh, economic point of view. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question that the, uh, the consumer behavior is changing already. Uh, it's going to be uh, complete in the next 10 years, I think. So consumer behavior, when, when my 14-year-old daughter is mid-20s, A company cannot survive in that consumer world um, doing what we do today. I think the the I don't think Angle Faith will be enough for those uh, uh, consumers moving forward. We don't know exactly the impact that they're going to have. They're being taught to purchase differently, and I watch it happen. And it's uh, uh, it's weird to see happen, but it's happening one way or the other. So consumers is one thing, but B 2 B. Do you really see that being something that that's uh, that's going to have to change as well? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, given that uh, the behavior of the investors is changing, you know, like um, BlackRock, for instance, one of the biggest asset managers in the world, um, recently announced that uh, they are shifting their investment focus to um, ESG only, and uh, they move billions and billions of, of uh, US dollars. And I think that uh, this is creating um, a new way of thinking and a new approach um, that uh, or how, how investors approach approach uh, businesses and investments. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they are, they are scared to invest in businesses that are non-compliant with ESG and um, potential losses associated with those companies. And uh, I think that, that uh, these investors and uh, also, also private investors uh, are increasingly looking at uh, what their money is, um, where their money is invested. Yeah. And uh, that's why I do believe that um, this, this causes pressure on businesses to, to you know, like go beyond greenwashing and uh, have, have uh, proper strategies in place that... Uh, um, address issues such as climate change and uh, you know like basically uh, stop uh, behavior that is detrimental to to society or the economy. Okay, and um, 
this is kind of on a side note, but do you think it's possible for the economy at large to adopt this in a in a in a way that works? I do believe that um, consumer behavior and in a B two B setting, um, customer behavior in general will will. Uh, cause some some kind of pressure on on those companies um, that are non-compliant, but um, same with diversity. I think that um, some sort of uh, policy in place uh, helps to to speed things up. Um, yeah. I do believe that in the long run, um, the the share of of uh, women and men in, in leadership positions um, is going to to balance i mean could be could be 55 uh, 45 uh, on on either side but uh, i think that um, the the policy making that we experience right now uh, speeds things up and uh, I, I do believe it's the same with um, uh, environmental and and social considerations uh, i think that uh, the behavior of of the customers um, will lead to a long-term shift. Uh, yet, I, I do believe that uh, policymakers can can help to speed things up. And um, I'm, I'm not quite sure if, if carved credits, for instance, um, is is the right tool. But uh, it's it's a first step. And um, as as soon as uh, companies and uh, shareholders experience that uh, the behavior they engaged in uh, for the past years uh, is, is costing them money, then uh, they will start to, to rethink and um, act more responsibly mm. um, in their own sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I'm going to enjoy watching it uh, take shape. Uh, and uh, from all of the initiatives that I've seen up until now, uh, Ankofay is the one that I think can actually play a defining role, at least here in Europe. Um, you know, so that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Um, how is this being implemented? You know, maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, um, you know, what are the risks involved in it? Uh, um, what you you call it operationalizing it? Uh, can you explain that a little bit? Um, sure. I mean, the risk certainly, as as uh, with any investment, is in finding the right assets, and uh, I do think that uh, the time to invest is is now because uh, competition is is uh, increasing. Um, we now have the opportunity to to position ourselves uh, on the forefront of of um, this this uh, movement. I do think that uh, Ankerfake, I mean, however you call it, uh, that uh, this the behavior associated with Ankerfake um, will become the new normal. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that um, the the main risk that we have is in in executing it and uh, being fast and. Uh, by, by doing so, finding the right assets uh, that uh, not only perform well in a future worth living sense, but also meet our our performance expectations in a TSR TSR mm -hmm. sense. The 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 particular opportunities in this, because uh, we talked about you know the challenge being finding the opportunities, but I mean, w in, when you're operationalizing this Ankofay concept into uh, um, your your portfolio targets. Um, it seems like there's there's opportunities that go along with that. I mean, is it the opportunity just you know what to focus on? Um, well, I think the opportunity is that um, given the increasing awareness, it's uh, an industry that is that is uh, maturing right now. I mean, uh, talking about clean tech companies, um, you have many many early stage companies that uh, will be more mature and uh, have the right size uh, for us to invest in, in 
um, couple of years' uh, time. So I think that um, with the increased focus on on um, decarbonization, for instance, uh, we'll see many interesting companies um, that that uh, are currently being being founded, that have been founded a couple of years ago, that uh, are relevant for us um, to invest in in a few years' time. So I think uh, we'll have many opportunities um, that uh, are currently being created um, by the increasing focus on on um, uh, sustainable investments, and uh, that's that's a good thing. And uh, talking about risks, uh, it's it's uh, difficult to find the right technology, the right approach towards uh, decarbonization. But um, it it does create many opportunities um, and uh, will create um, additional opportunities for us in the future. And uh, the good thing is, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure if you're familiar with, with that. Um, we not only invest into more mature companies, but we also have um, a, a, a pocket for so-called growth companies. Um, and uh, we we only started to, to uh, set up uh, this, this kind of pocket last year, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that uh, we can invest smaller tickets on um, growing companies, that uh, are rather early stage, and um, by doing so, that is particular to to the planet um, pillar. Uh, by doing so, addressing um, really important challenges, uh, decarbonization being being one example, mm-hmm. and uh, participating in in uh, high growth, uh, interesting uh, companies. So that's that's the growth plus bit of our of our uh, investment side okay because I I understood that as um, you were investing in in funds uh, uh, with that with that but you would actually look at investing into specific companies in an early stage they would probably have to have like a proven business model to some extent in a smaller market uh, but something that wouldn't be interesting for a, a typical Annual investment. Exactly. That's that's interesting because I, you know, for me, it's like with anything. When we talked to Daniela about diversity, it was also a question of okay, well, how how can we get more women into the uh, workplace? And and it's really well, we need to start younger. We need to be talking to uh, younger women, and we need to be making it more attractive for them to see these. Uh, so. It's a very similar kind of concept. If you start building relationships with these companies, uh, um, and the best way to build a relationship with an early stage company is to give them money, uh, um, uh, then then that gives you uh, better targets moving forward. So that's part of the plan. Yeah, act, no, exactly. Uh, actually, um, we we have been investing in in funds, and uh, we still are, mm-hmm. and uh, that accounts for the majority of of funds allocated to that team mm-hmm. um, 500 million are, are allocated for for fund investments and uh, in many cases we do invest alongside the funds and uh, in some cases uh, we have standalone investments uh, in in those growth companies and um, the ticket sizes that we we allocate are between 10 20 million um, I'd say our target target ticket sizes because we've only started now yeah and um, we do have a total allocation of 100 million for for those uh, growth plus Direct investments. Okay. If it comes to our our so-called core investments, um, this year most probably we will target uh, larger larger uh, companies. Um, but it's it's still um, I mean KMK are perfect uh, and and Bauch are perfect examples for for our core investment um, side. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean the. The thing is, you know, as far as I can only speak for Bowwatch, but uh, the the growth that we have ahead of us is um, 
it's not exponential, but it's definitely going to continue on the same curve uh, for quite a while. And so maybe we not we might not move the needle today, uh, but in a few years' time, uh, I, I I see it. You know, so you've got uh, the the juggernauts that basically uh, bring revenue with them, but then you've got uh, future uh, profit uh, pockets that I think uh, could work. But okay, so that's interesting. With uh, um, what do you call that? Is that it's not a, it's not an internal fund? Is it just a well, you call it a pocket? Yeah, since, since we it's it's an allocation. I'd say okay, since yeah. we don't have funds, uh, uh, we invest from the balance sheet. Um, yeah. We don't have funds, and uh, it's an allocation. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And okay. uh, talking about the growth, I think the same the same is true for for KMK. And um, I guess that uh, Thomas Thomas referred to KMK and Bauer as growth investments because comparing them to to more mature businesses such as uh, CWS, mm-hmm. um, obviously they have higher growth rates, and um, that's that's uh, what uh, you referred to, I guess. Um, I have a, a one question. Most of that was what. What are we looking at as far as future portfolio companies are concerned? Yeah, but if we just take in general, and I don't want to talk specifically about anything, we talked about Bowwatch. I don't, I don't mind, you know, asking that question because I'm confident about Bowwatch's value, and I'm also confident about Bowwatch's ankle fake, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, um, that's that's fine. But if looking at the existing portfolio companies, you know, what are a few things? That can be expected because the the target audience for this podcast is the twenty thousand employees, you know, throughout the different business units, um, and and they they should get a better idea of what ankle fake means and 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 what the expectation is or how it's going to be implemented or what it's going to have for an effect. Um, what are the kind of things that portfolio companies should be expecting to either change on their side or that they can be focusing on? Uh, um, to to become more ankle fake. Is there something general um, that all companies have that should get you know that we should be expecting to get better at? It really depends on on the business model. I mean, mm-hmm. um, for me, the most important uh, thing a company can do, and uh, the potential for each company is is uh, vastly different, um, is uh, to think about circularity and uh, how to to make products and uh, services um, more resource efficient. I, I mm-hmm. think not only from from a angle fake point of view, but also from a performance point of view, because I think uh, that that uh, those products um, will experience uh, increasing demand. Um, and uh, at the same time, if you if you don't um, think about those issues, uh, it it uh, can hurt you in a couple of years' time. Um, as we've discussed, uh, your 14-year-old daughter will will uh, think and act differently uh, than than we do today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's uh, a risk uh, also from, from a business point of view not to think about uh, anchor fake, but uh, the, the things uh, it means for a business uh, really depend on, on each individual business model. Um, for instance, uh, looking at Rovema, uh, they they can um, think about green packaging and and uh, how to reduce waste. Um, for CWS, for instance, it's it's uh, different considerations. But um, I would always put the the product or service at uh, the center of of uh, thinking about how how to improve. And um, how to become um, more more anglophic, yeah. and I think that's that's uh, also the way how uh, the future was living guys approach um, the the uh, concept and uh, their assessment. 
Um, I think it's it's always uh, product and and service first, and uh, then uh, obviously there are also ways in in uh, becoming more um, compliant uh, when you talk about uh, how how to manufacture or or actually um, make the service uh, work. Yeah. But um, I think uh, product and and service are, are the most important consideration for for each each uh, portfolio company. Okay. Um. How many target companies are you looking at, the whole team, at any given point? Are uh, there hundreds? Any given point. Is well, it 10? I'd, I'd say that uh, we do have um, a rather small set of companies uh, on the radar, uh, mm -hmm. at least for, for the Planet team. It's um, like uh, 10, 10, 12 companies um, that we have on our so-called hunting list. Yeah. And um, then you, you always have new opportunities coming in from, from intermediaries. But um, I'd assume that um, in, on an annual basis, we would look at, at uh, 20 to 25 businesses, um, at least um, from, from um, a high-level point of view, And uh, we would really dig into, let's say, five to ten companies uh, per year. Okay. Because uh, the screening process, I mean, obviously, we, we try to put ourselves in the shoes of uh, the Future Was Living uh, team. And uh, we exclude companies um, where we don't see any fit. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wouldn't even approach uh, the Future Was Living team. And um, the number number of businesses that is uh, sizable, actionable, and um, from a TSR and Future Was Living point of view, interesting to us um, isn't, isn't that big. Okay. And so, so you actually have a pre-filter that you, you know, okay, we're just going to go to the Future Worth Living team. They're going to tell us to leave, so we might as well just not waste our time. Yeah. I mean, we do have um, many, many target segments. And uh, before, before um, actually running campaigns and approaching companies proactively, uh, we did have a chat with, with uh, the Future Worth Living team in order to see whether they have any any uh, kind of issue with those segments. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we go and and uh, start a dialogue with the company. And uh, once we do have more more detailed information on, let's say, um, revenues, product splits, and um, you name it, then we would go back and, and uh, discuss with the FWA team. Okay, and I, I just have a couple more questions in that direction. That sure. just, uh, we might not even use it, but I'd like to uh, ask the question um, is... You mentioned something earlier, like in the very beginning, that I just I can't get my brain wrapped around. Is uh, um, do you think that there's there's founders? Let's say, I mean, is it is it even is it even possible that that you would target a company that's still run by the founder? Um, I mean, that would have to be a hugely successful founder. Um, in order for that to even work as far as the revenues that you guys would be looking at. Um, but let's just assume that that person was not only born to build the company, but born to grow the company. And now it's at a point that it's targeted by the family office, Hanio, at a, at a level. Um, that founder 
would she take, you know, I don't know, 50 million or 100 million less from Hanyo knowing that it's going to a family office and uh, um, going to um, be run at an ankle fake way? Do you actually see that as as a possibility? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, certainly our, our euro looks the same as, as uh, anybody else's euro. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have to, to pay competitive prices. But um, if if we are in in some sort of range within um, or with other bidders, then uh, it's it's definitely a plus to have uh, the the uh, ankle fake approach. And uh, many many uh, entrepreneurs are looking for a good home mm-hmm. for their companies, and uh, then we we do have uh, a competitive advantage over over let's say um, American private equity investors. Uh, what would a good home look like in that in that sense? I mean, the, what what does Hanio uh, other than the ankle fake concept? I mean, I, one, the one thing is the long term investment. I see that you know if I can if I can if my employee base can stay calm and collected because we know we're not going to get sold three or five years later just to make a bunch of money, uh, then I can gear and steer them towards a, a more longer-term growth. That all makes sense. But, yeah. I mean, are there things that, that I don't see that could be uh, positives, you know, coming from a Hanyo perspective? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we run each business as uh, an individual unit and a separate unit. And um, considering that uh, you are selling your business to... Siemens or whatever, they have all the overhead functions in place and uh, they might uh, make people redundant, uh, close factories, uh, whatsoever. While we need the whole infrastructure, um, we'll keep the brand name that uh, the entrepreneur has built over over many years. And um, that's definitely an advantage over strategic buyers. Okay, so the 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 identity that the entire organization has with itself can remain intact. Uh, and that's, that. okay, I see it. That's it from my side for right now. Give me just two seconds to look through. Uh, Anke, active listening. Yes, I just put Okay. Perfect. So we've talked about everything. At least everything you announced in the beginning, yes. Marcus, are you still there? We good? Okay. Um... Then I'm going to say, uh, Moritz, it, it was really good talking to you. Um, I'm, from my side, super interested in what you do. I've got a million other questions that if we were sitting with a beer in hand at a bar somewhere, I would probably just talk your ear off. But um, I appreciate you coming by. Uh, I appreciate you doing your part to help uh, everybody understand a little better what ankle fake means and how it's being approached. Um if you have a few last words you want to say or you just want to say goodbye, it was nice. It was <laughs> nice having you here. I actually, I think it's it's an exciting journey for the whole for the whole Hanya group. And um, I'm, I'm happy that uh, we as an investment team um, can contribute our, our uh, share. And uh, it was fun, fun discussing it and uh, having the opportunity to talk about it. And um, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. In the next episode, we will be talking to Dörte Heinrichs, who is responsible for and an expert in customer experience and the philosophy of Lean and Haniel's How team. She will answer our questions on the topic and clarify the relation to Angle Fig in a modern business landscape.